to figure out then what are the purposes, what is it that God's calling us to do? So I want to bring you back to the passage we looked at when we began. So go ahead and open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. What we have done over the last number of weeks is look at a lot of different things. And so I just want us today to go back and recap those ideas. So what we're going to do is look first at Ephesians 4, at the first passage that we talked about. Then we're going to go through and we're going to briefly hit the six main purposes that we've identified that we feel like God's called us to accomplish as a church. And then after we're done with all of those things, then what we're going to do is take some time to think about what's next, okay? So we're going to try to do that in a relatively brief period of time. Feel free to listen quick, okay? Ephesians chapter 4 is where we begin our series. Um, as we did, we, we dove into chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Now, we acknowledge this is kind of in the middle of a passage, and it is jam-packed with information. There's so much truth in this passage, but I just want to remind you of a few things. So go ahead and start with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and we'll read down through verse 16. And he himself, now that's talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ." From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, there is a ton in that passage. It is super detailed, and there's a lot of different threads that Paul is pulling together. So when we first looked through that, we came up with expressing it in this particular way, okay? Uh, you can go ahead and put that up on the screen. We believe God has called us to be an equipped body of believers united around Jesus, striving to live like him and lead others to do the same, okay? So we believe God has called us to be an equipped body of believers, united around Jesus, striving to live like him and lead others to do the same. So let's briefly unpack this. Um, when we talked about ministry and service as some of our purposes, we recognize that God uniquely gifts people in the body to serve him in the way that, that he does, uh, to serve him, the church, and the world. It is my role as a pastor not to do all of the work of the ministry. It is my role as a pastor to help equip you to do the work that God's called you to do. We, if it all came down to me, it would be a miserable wreck. In fact, actually, if today at some point either of those signs falls off the wall, that's because I was the one that taped them up there. Okay, so that, it, that's, uh, you don't, I failed arts and crafts. So you'll, you'll be able to see that if one of them falls off because that's on me, right? You don't want me doing everything. Uh, Teresa did an amazing job with her team putting all these decorations together. I know there's been several hands that have been involved in that. And it doesn't it look wonderful? Yeah, it's very festive. I love lights. I love Christmas lights. I would be Clark Griswold if I could. Uh, the budget and time are the two things that limit me. But I love that we've got the, the sanctuary decorated. I could never decorate this the way that it looks. I could not have made those signs the way that they look. I couldn't come up with any of those things. I couldn't have taught all the Sunday school classes that got taught this morning or led all of the small groups or made all of the phone calls or gone to see all the people or cooked all the meals, all of those things that have happened this week. There's no way that a pastor can do all of it. So his role then, my role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to help you to be able to do what God's called you to do. 
Not only that, as God gives us these unique background gifts, experiences, it's an opportunity for you to serve him just like he's given you that gift, okay? So our role as a church then is to help you grow in your ability to honor God and what he's called you to do. Now, part of that is that as we're doing this, there is one central person we unite around. If this church unites around me as the pastor or as any other leader, as as the key figure for this church, it's in a world of trouble. Because as you see in this passage that we just read, the unity of the church revolves around the fact that Jesus is Lord. This is not my church. You'll notice sometimes we use that, you know, uh, my church or the church I go to, you know, whatever. I always try to be very careful. I I like to say the church I'm a part of, the church I have the privilege of leading, those kind of things, because this is not my church. This is not your church. It is Jesus's church. And we seek to unite around honoring and glorifying him in everything. We may have little in common with the way we were raised or what we do for a living, the activities we enjoy, but those of us who've been saved by God have this thing in common. We all came to understand the truth that the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. In other words, that means that there's things that God has created us to do and to be that we've fallen short of, we've not lived up to. And because of that, you and I are separated from God and can't get back to him on our own. So God loved us so much that he would send his own son to die in our place to be raised from the dead, to show that he had taken my penalty and yours, and now he rules and reigns in heaven and calls us to be a part of his kingdom and following him. So you and I may have nothing in common outside of that, but if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you've surrendered to him, then that's our commonality, that Jesus saved me. And you and I can have fellowship like we'll talk about in a minute. You and I can have a relationship and fellowship that's based solely around the fact that Jesus is our Lord. That's what we seek to be unified around. Not a person, not a style, not a preference, not whatever. We're unified around Jesus, okay? That, then we keep going on down to verse 13. You see that Paul's talking about the idea of us partnering together to live like Jesus and lead others to do the same. Again, look at verse 13 until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. In other words, our goal as a church is that we would grow to where each and every single person that God has placed as a part of his body here, and anybody that God adds and draws in through the evangelism and through the ministry that we do, that each of those individuals would be equipped to grow into a maturity that looks like Jesus, right? When it says it's a maturity that's measured by Christ's fullness, that means our goal is not to be better than anybody else. Our goal is not to be more spiritual than this person or more doctrinally correct than these people. No, our goal is to look, live, and love like Jesus does. So that's where we're going as a church. And that's not just my goal as an individual. That should be your goal as a member, your goal as a follower of Christ, our goal together as a body is that we would all grow to maturity. So we're looking to be an equipped body of believers who is united around Jesus, who's seeking to live like Jesus and lead others to do the same. Now, that still left us with a whole lot of questions, right? What does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? So that's where we started. And then we've spent the last 12 weeks talking about how do we actually go about doing that? We've articulated it with these main six purposes. 
Now, as we've gone through, we've seen these six that we've gone through week after week. And if you haven't been with us, we did this very differently than we typically do. I'll be honest. I typically will sit down and we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll start at the beginning and we'll go a chunk at a time through that. And that's typically how my sermons go. But this last 13 weeks, we've been doing something very different. We've taken one passage of scripture that describes this purpose and is where we kind of draw that idea out of. And then the next week, we've actually been doing real practical teaching about how to go about doing that thing. I'd encourage you, all of our sermons are available online, and so you're more than welcome to either look back through our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, or on our church website. There's a, at the bottom of the homepage, there's a sermon player, and you can go back and see if there's ones that you missed that you want to pick up on, okay? So as we went through all of these, these six purposes are tied to an assessment that our church took back in the spring. We put a survey out to the church and said, hey guys, rank on where you think we are in, in all of these different categories and ask all kinds of questions and lots of different answers. But, but through all of that, we saw that there were several areas where we were doing pretty well. Those first two of exalting God in worship. Actually, Alex, you're gonna leave that slide up for like a long time. We're gonna be there for a while. So we'll, we're gonna park on the slide for a bit. So exalting God in worship is the strongest area for the church, and that's great. Encountering God through prayer was our second strongest. Evangelizing the world was actually our weakest area. Edifying others through ministry and service was our second weakest, I believe. Encouraging one another through fellowship was kind of in the middle, and equipping the saints through discipleship was also one of our weakest, okay? So the three weakest were evangelism, ministry, and discipleship. And as we've gone through, we've been taking each week to talk a little bit more about what these look like. You ready to recap those? I know you guys are just thrilled. This morning is just, this is what your heart wanted. Why are, we go, why are we doing this? Because if you're like me, you'll go through a series like this. You'll remember that you felt convicted about some things and that you should change some stuff. And then you forgot about it. We started this September 11th. That feels like a lifetime ago. So before we leave this series, what I want us to do is go back and, and just briefly run through what we've talked about, okay? So diving in first, our first principle that we, or purpose that we looked at was exalting God in worship. Bonus points. Who remembers what passage we went to? Nobody. See, that's why we're going through this. Derek, what? Ephesians was where we were for the first one. Yes. Next, the next message, we talked about worship. Where did we go for worship? That's all right. Where did we go for worship? See, this is why we're going over it. Isaiah chapter six was where we went to talk about worship. Because if you know the story, Isaiah saw into heaven and he got to see God seated on his throne. And in that moment, we drew out some major principles about worship. We said worship is when we see God as he is. That's why the songs that we sing point our eyes upward to how great he is, right? That's why we're trying to exalt him through the way that we sing. But we said worship is more than just singing. It's a lifestyle where we're constantly trying to get to know God better and see who he is. Then we also said that part of worship is as we see God as he is, then we start seeing ourselves as we are. And we start realizing how big the gap is between God and us. Isaiah, when he saw God seated on the throne, he said, woe is me from I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. Woe is me as I am undone. You know, think about um, the old Tom and Jerry cartoons or something where somebody's wearing a sweater and like it gets hooked on a nail, you know, and they run and just go right? So that's Isaiah's like, I am undone in the presence of God. I'm falling apart because God is so holy and I'm so not. So part of worship is both acknowledging who God is and acknowledging who I am, how, how short I fall. 
And then from there, we said that we respond to what we see there in repentance and obedience. Now, we talked the next week about some practical ways to be able to worship at home, worship as an individual, worshiping with your family, worshiping at work, just some ways to incorporate worship in. And um, I don't know about you guys, I, I still love taking time to celebrate what God does with the sky. We've had some incredible clouds recently, some incredible storms that have rolled through, some incredible just sun peeking through. The night sky this time of year, if you can stand it to go stand outside without the humidity and all the stuff in the air, it is just crystal clear and gorgeous to remember how big and how good our God is. So that's one way to incorporate worship into things. Then we looked at encountering God through prayer. Okay? So worship is the idea of me looking at who God is, recognizing who I am, responding in repentance and turning from what I know to be sin and responding in obedience to turning to do what God calls me to do. Then we talked about prayer and, and we went there. I'm not even going to ask. We went to Luke chapter 11, which is where we saw Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. We said that prayer is more than, although it's not less than talking to God like I'm talking to you, it's more than that. As Jesus outlined for us a model of the kinds of ways that we pray. You may be familiar with calling that the Lord's Prayer. Well, we don't typically call it the Lord's Prayer because there are things in there that the Lord would not have had to pray, right? Jesus never had to ask for forgiveness. So what he was doing was he was modeling for us the kind of way that we should pray because we do need to ask for forgiveness. We do need to ask for God's provision on a daily basis. And we said that what's important through that model prayer is that it's kind of like a template. It's not necessarily a verbatim prayer that we're supposed to pray every day exactly the same way, but rather we use those as categories and a guide for our prayer life, that we spend time in worship and prayer. We spend time praying for others. We spend time praying for forgiveness, praying for our own needs. And we go through that whole process together. We saw also as we looked at prayer that as we do that, we're supposed to pray with an incredible sense of expectation, knowing that God answers prayer. Now, he doesn't always answer prayer the way we want him to. You know, we've had conversations with our kids where they'll come to us and say, Dad, can we get Dairy Queen tonight? And I'll say, no, we can't get Dairy Queen tonight. And you would, be, you would think, and we all react this way, this is not calling my kids out, you would think that there was absolute certainty that we were going to go to Dairy Queen. Because they're like, what? We can't go to Dairy Queen? Come on. I'm sure your kids have never reacted that way. They always say, oh, yes, father. Oh, yes, mother. I understand. No. See, sometimes when you ask a question, you have to expect that the answer may be no, right? So in the same kind of way, if we're asking God for things in prayer, we have to understand that sometimes God may say, no, that's not what's best. It's not because he doesn't love us, not because he's frustrated and tired and doesn't feel like getting up and going to Dairy Queen, but because he loves you and knows what's best, okay? So we talked then as we went through encountering God through prayer, we, we said that, that we're taking time to come into his presence and make these requests, spending time with him, getting to know him better, talking with him, communicating with him, just being with him. We gave you a couple of tools to do that, both the, the praying the Bible tool that we looked at from Don Whitney and then... We also uh, took the tool of how to have a holy hour in case you were looking for a more extended time of, in God's presence. So those were the two areas that really focus us upward, right? Focusing on worshiping God, focusing on seeking his face in prayer. From there, we turned our focus kind of horizontally to the people around us. As we look at number three, evangelizing the world. Anybody remember what story we used for this one? Oh, Derek's flipping through to find his notes. 
Great Commission was a part of it. Solid answer, yeah. It's a good, high likelihood. What's that? All right, Derek. Philip, yep. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Right, all right, good. We see we're getting there. So we use the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. If you remember, everything about that story, good job, Derek, you were on it. Everything about that story is weird, right? Um, everything about that is, is so strange. He was in this great place of ministry, and God said, hey, go to the middle of nowhere. And as you go out to the middle of nowhere, I, I want you to take the gospel to some guy. You're just going to walk up to some dude's chariot and, and start talking to him about Jesus. That's a very weird thing to do. For those of you who've been in church for a long time, so oh, let's, let's not. That's what God calls us. I mean, let's be honest, guys. It's weird to just walk up to people and start talking about Jesus. I'll tell you a story in a second. As he walks up to him, he starts telling about Jesus. The man's ready and gives his heart to Christ and gets saved at that very moment. So in that moment, he baptizes him, goes on. We, we talked then about the idea of, of for us to be able to share the gospel, we've got to be willing to go to weird places and have weird conversations and see God do weird things, right? You remember at the end of the story, God picked Philip up and just took him and put him somewhere else, which is so cool. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to do that every time you share the gospel. It'd be a little weird if that happened, right? But God can if he wants. He's God. So evangelizing the world is sharing this message, this story that Jesus loves us so much that he wants you to have a relationship with him and know him. After that, we talked about how do we actually do that. We spent some time working on crafting our story. How do I talk about my testimony, what God's done in my life? And then we took some time to talk just briefly about how do I actually go about talking about Jesus and the gospel. Here's one of the things that God did through that. Oh, by the way, with uh, in encountering God through prayer, ever since we preached that message, our prayer meeting attendance has been higher and our time together has been absolutely fantastic. I would encourage you guys, if you can make it out on Wednesday nights at 630, um, we do have an online option for those who work late and you can jump on through Zoom. But man, if you can make it in the room, it's even better. We look at God's word, we discuss it together, and we spend some time praying. And it's been wonderful ever since we talked about that. We've also got some other folks who are working on uh, possibly finding some other opportunities to get together to pray. Then in evangelizing the world, here's what happened. Um, many of you guys know I'm a, a addicted to sheets. Uh, let's just be honest. Um, so I was there one morning and I was getting a cup of coffee and I was irritated because there was an individual in front of me who uh, had his six pack of beer. And this is at nine o'clock in the morning, had a six pack of beer at one of them. The middle one was broken and the third coffee machine, he was struggling to figure out because he was not fully in his right state of mind at the time. And I was irritated. I'm just going to be honest. Thinking, man, if this guy could just hurry up. And the lady from, the, from Sheets came over and tried to help him, and, and uh, she got him 90% of the way there and walked off, and he couldn't quite figure out that last 10%. So I just reached over, he just, just got to hit that button right there. And I stepped back, and he starts talking to me, and again, it's, it's obvious that he's already been, this is not his first six-pack of the day. And um, as he starts talking, we start talking about how complicated coffee's gotten, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then he just looks at me and says, you're a Christian, aren't you? I, yeah, I am. I can tell by looking. And then he started to tell me his story. He had bottomed out. He had been on a multi-day bender and wasn't sure what the rest of things would look like for him. And that morning, I, I was sitting there thinking, I Many of you guys know um, Brett Nicholson, who's a part of our church. Brett 
uh, loves to come alongside folks and, and help. And so I thought, man, I, I need to connect this guy with Brett. And so I said, man, can I, can I get your phone number? By the way, when I was talking to him, I used my story that I actually wrote in, when we were going through writing your story. I, I used that where I'd crafted that. I thought, man, I need to get this guy to talk to Brett. And so I, I asked him, I got his num- name and number, and I texted to Brett, just without any context, just name, number. And, and so on the way out of the door at Sheets, I said, hey, hey Brett, um, let me explain that number that I just sent you. And I said, I, I'm down here at Sheets. And he said, wait, which one? So the one by church. He said, I just filled up with gas. And I kid you not, I look up and two pumps over, there's Brett finishing up, getting in his car. He said, I'm coming around. So Brett had the opportunity then to meet our new friend, to be able to, to connect with him. And he's talked to them by phone a couple of times and is still trying to work with them to help this, young, this gentleman to see Jesus. See, evangelizing the world, there is so much need around us, even to the point where God brings it to you. I, I was not in a place where I was looking for a gospel conversation. I wanted a cup of coffee and to get to work. What God was doing, though, was showing me that I was at work already, whether I got that cup of coffee or not, because he had already been at work. So as we're looking at these things, what I want you to do, I want to highlight some of these things because this is why we're doing this. I had my story on the front of my mind because I had just written it out with you guys when we were going through that one Sunday. So, so God's using this. Then from there, we look as well, kind of looking horizontally, not just at evangelizing the world, but also at edifying others through ministry and service. For this one, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, and we talked about how God has uniquely assembled the body, and he puts individual people with different attributes and different gifts and different talents and different abilities. And as he pulls that together, the whole body is strengthened as we each use what God's given us. The next week, we took some time to look at Romans 12 about some of the ways that, that God has equipped and, and uh, enabled different people to serve in different capacities. And since then, by the way, we've had folks who are stepping up into other areas of ministry that they hadn't been previously. We have others who are praying about how God would have them to get involved as God's helping us to be able to grow in edifying others through ministry and service. From there, we moved into fellowship. We looked at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, which talk about us going to get together and more than just hanging out, but rather encouraging one another, thinking about each other, thinking about how we can help each other to grow toward love and good works so we can get stronger together, so that we can walk more closely with Jesus together. And that's the one that of all of the messages I have ever done, we probably got the most feedback on the day that I made you guys meet new people, right? The way we, we applied this one was we had everybody divide up into groups and to get together with people they didn't know. And you know what the feedback was? There's probably some people who got mad about it, and thankfully that never got back to me. I'm cool with that. Um, but the people that were here that were excited about it were many of our newer folks, folks who haven't been here real long, who said, you know what? I know two new people now that I didn't know and how God used that. By the way, let me just real quick, as a quick side note, I know we got too much to cover for me to go off on a trap, rabbit trails. Here's something we figured out through that. For those of you, how many of you have been here at Christiansburg Baptist for more than two years? Okay, that's good. Okay. Now, if you look around, that's a lot of the folks, but there's a lot of hands that didn't go up as well. I know that when I'm new somewhere, um, 
I don't have any problem talking to people because I'll talk to a lampshade if I can. I mean, it's just, you know, I just talk. That's what I do. But I know for a lot of folks, when you're new somewhere, you, you're kind of waiting for somebody to come talk to you. Here's what we have found out. God has brought so many new folks to our congregation that sometimes you may be sitting around a group of people and think, why hasn't anybody talked to me? I, I'm new here. They may be not much more, not much older here than you. That they may be new too, right? As God's brought this influx of new folks here, it may take all of us kind of getting out of our comfort zone and meeting folks. And so that's what we did with fellowship was try to get to know each other a little bit better. Try to talk to each other. Get at least a few people that I know their name, I know their face, may even have their phone number so that I can encourage them to grow closer to Jesus. Last week, we wrapped the whole thing up with equipping the saints through discipleship. We said that discipleship is really kind of the umbrella term when you think about it. Individually, discipleship means that you and I are growing individually into looking more like Jesus. That's the process where you and I grow to look more like Jesus. It's called discipleship because a disciple was somebody who learned and followed a teacher. So individually, discipleship is us following Jesus. Then as a group together, discipleship is us as the church helping you along that process, coming up with with ways and, and abilities to intentionally help you to be able to grow in your walk with Christ. So those are the six purposes that we have articulated as a church. When you wonder, where are we going as a church? This is where we're headed, okay? This is who we feel God's calling us to become. Well, Sean, what about giving? What about missions? What about, they pretty much all fit in categories here. If you can think of anything that's outside of these categories, let me know. But if you look at it, you know, discipleship, giving would be a part of discipleship. Missions would be a part of evangelism. You know, it all pretty much covers almost everything. And if If there is something outside the pale of this, if we do these six, we are well on our way, right? Now, we've mentioned that at least three of these are pretty weak for us. Evangelism, ministry, and discipleship. Those are our three weakest areas. So as we go through next year, be ready to hear more about how we need to to do that and what we desire to see God do through that, because that's where we need to grow. So quickly, let's just think through some things. What are our next steps from here? We've spent all of this time going through it. So what are the next thing that God's called us to do? Got to scroll through my notes a bit, sorry. Number one, thank God for what he's done. Thank God for what he has done. As we go through this list, I, like I said, there are stories about how God has used each of these different things in, in people's lives in his church to help us to grow stronger. Now, in this, we know this is a really fast survey. Going through all of this in 12 weeks, we can't teach you everything that it is to follow Jesus in 12 weeks. But what we're doing is just laying a foundation, laying laying some hooks out for us to be able to, to hang things on so that that way we at least have some common way of thinking about it, common way of talking about it. Remember we said that we're evangelizing the world? Well, this is how we're gonna do that. So this gives us just that broad overview and foundation. So First off, thank God for what he's done. If there's been something in your life that you've seen God do over these last 12 weeks, which I hope there has been, if you've not grown in your relationship with Christ in any kind of appreciable way in 12 weeks, you might ought to think about that, right? We should be growing in our walk with Christ. So thank God for what he's done, both individually for you, maybe for your family, and then together for us corporately as a body. Number two, avoid falling back into autopilot. It would be easy for us to put this thing back on a shelf and say, all right, we did that. Now, great, let's move on. 
don't fall back into just doing church as usual. Mike reminded us yesterday in an email that the church is more needed in today's culture than it ever has been. With the disunity, the discord, the the way that things are moving in our world, the church is vitally essential in these days. So for us to be all that God calls us to do, we cannot just phone it in from here on forward. That's not going to work. So actively fight to avoid being on autopilot. So thinking about that, by the way, how do, how do we do that? Well, next few weeks, we're looking at the birth of Jesus. So why do we do that? Why are we even looking at the birth of Jesus as a church? Well, let's put it into our purposes. One, because we want to know God better. This is not on the screen. We want to know God better so we can worship him more accurately. We want to pray to a God who took on flesh and knows our weakness. We want to tell people about him. We want to serve him like he served us. We want to encourage each other to focus on Jesus and living like he calls us to live. And we want to grow to be more mature disciples. So focusing on the incarnation for a few weeks is going to help us to do all those things. It helps us to grow in worship. It helps us see who we're coming to in prayer. It helps us see how God served us and how he intends for us to serve others. All of these things are a part of growing in those purposes. The messages may not specifically list out these six principles every week, but they're still going to be helping us to grow in Christ-likeness and grow toward maturity, okay? So don't fall back into the rut of just going to church and doing your thing. Number three, and kind of the positive way of saying that is keep growing. Keep growing. Remember that if, if at any point through this, God has convicted you about something, about your prayer life, about your evangelism, about the way that you're serving, about any of these things that you're, you felt convicted about. Remember that that is the God of the universe who's communicating that to your heart. That should give us some sobriety there, right? That should, should help us to see this is important. Uh, Ecclesiastes talks about if you make a vow to the Lord, fulfill it, because he takes no delight in fools, Right? If you've promised God that you're going to do something, you ought to keep your promise, keep your word, and ask forgiveness when you don't. So as you think through those six purposes, if there's one that God said, you know, I really want, I've just really put my finger that you're really needing to share the gospel more, or you're really needing to, to fellowship with other believers more, why not then commit to take the next three months and just focus on that one? So God, this three months, I want to focus on worship. So I'm going to be looking for opportunities to praise and celebrate you for all that you've done. Or I'm going to take this three months and I'm going to really focus on prayer. So I'm going to take some steps forward. You know, I'm not going to go from a one to a, a 10 if a 10 is like a mighty prayer warrior and I'm a just barely ever praise. But maybe go from a one to a two, two to a four, you know, whatever. Just, just kind of growing in that over the next three months. What would it look like for you to keep growing and not just put this all on the shelf? Then number four, oh, by the way, for some of you, it's not a matter of keep growing. It's a matter of start. Because as you've gone through this, you may have realized you're not actually a follower of Jesus. You're not actually a Christian. There's never been that time in your life where you've turned from following what you can do to turn to following Jesus. That's the first step. That's where you start this journey. And that's how you begin to grow, is to turn to following him. And then number four, keep praying. Keep praying. This goes back to our church-wide assessment that showed that we weren't doing the best in some of these purposes. Would you pray that God would guide his church to get stronger, especially in these outward-focused areas like evangelism? You know, Tim Repass, when we first looked at the Know Your Church report, and he and I were talking through some of the results, one of the things he noticed was that the three strongest areas for us are worship, 
prayer, and fellowship. And truthfully, those are kind of inward-focused. Those are about me receiving in a lot of ways. The outward-focused ones, like fellowship, like, excuse me, excuse me, like ministry to other people, like evangelism, like discipleship, those are costly. Those require me to invest outward. So would you pray that God would give us the ability to grow in those areas? That he would let us put everything we do as a church and the way we do it on the table and say, God, if there's anything we need to stop doing, help us to stop it. If there's anything we need to start doing, help us to start it. Because we want to be a church that honors you, that equips us to unite around Jesus, to live like Jesus, and lead others to do the same. So would you pray for that? And as you're praying, would you ask God to prepare your heart for whatever changes that means? You know, we, if we're weak in these areas, we cannot stay where we are and go on with God. Now, as I say that here, I, like, I want to be completely honest with you. As a pastor, I don't know what that means yet. So if you're sitting there saying, oh, he knows that he's getting ready to do, no, I really don't, truthfully. I genuinely don't know what changes God is going to call our church to make in 2023. But I know that if we're unhealthy in these areas and we're going to become healthy, there's going to have to be change. You know, if your cholesterol is high, it's not just going to magically get better, right? If you're unhealthy with evangelism or discipleship or with ministry, there's going to have to be changes to get healthy. So would you ask God to give all of us a heart to be willing to embrace that C word that everybody hates of change, to see God at work, so that we can glorify him more, okay? So where are we going? We're striving to become a church that lives like Jesus and leads others to do the same. We'd love to have you on the ride with us.